Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 24 of Dreading Sundays. I'm your host, Daniel K. Chung, and today I'm very excited to bring to you a very special person. I won't say the name because clearly you already know as you clicked on the episode link, but I'll let her introduce who she is, what she does, where she works at, and why she does what she does. So over to you, Giselle. Hey, thank you for having me. So yeah, my name is Giselle Navarro, and I am the CEO at Neomom Studios. Um, at Neomom, we specialize in creating content that people would want to share. So that's what we do, and that's what I like. That's my passion. So that's what I do, what I, what I do, what I do. <laughs> that's why I do what I do, to create content. Um, so yeah, that's me. And I love like your title tag. It just says, we create content that people want to share powerful so meaningful how 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 did you as a team get to that line just one sentence of <laughs> eight words so beautiful well we nearly went out of business and we had to rebuild the business we had to learn first of all how to run a company uh, and in the middle of all that we specialized and we just focused on the one thing of all the things we were doing, the one thing that we felt that we could maybe one day be great at and the one thing that we all really wanted to do. And that was creating content people would want to share because of the background of the founder and the leadership tip at the time. We all came from, you know, the times of trying to get content at the top of Dig before Reddit just to try to get, you know, links. And then Reddit came. And I think this enjoyment that we get when we see real people, you know, sharing the content. And that, I remember we were sitting there being like, okay, we need to, like our mission was a mission. Why do we do what we do? What what would it be that if Neomom doesn't exist, we would still want to do? And it was just creating content people want to share and it's just stuck and that's our mission and it sits well on the website. Uh, so yeah, that's how it was. Beautiful. So you've been there for over eight years now. What were you doing before then? And how did you end up as CEO? <laughs> Good question. I wonder that. Um, so before Neumum, I was self-employed. Um, before that, I worked at a number of agencies. And I think I got burnt in a way. And I felt that I would never work for an agency ever again so I went self-employed and I was still working with agencies and some of the same agencies that you know I had been part of but from a different point as a freelancer and Neomom hired me as a freelancer to train their team and from there I started getting a good relationship with the people I was training so I got offered the job to be their manager and it took a really long time for me to say yes. And even when I did say yes, I asked in my contract that I was allowed to continue to freelance because I wanted to be able to have a backup plan in case this agency was the same as every other agency and I wanted to get out. Um, and I think in the middle of all that was when Neomam nearly went out of business. And I think it was a moment to commit or get out of it. And I, by that point, I believed in what they were trying to do. So I stuck through it. 
And that took my, my role, which at the time was head of outreach role. We had to let go of lots of people. The team got really small. So if I went from head of outreach to the person that was actually working with uh, the production team and the outreach team. And I was helping, you know, make the content and then, okay, promote it. So that eventually led me to an operations uh, director role. So I was actually running the whole thing because in the process of rebuilding, we had to rebuild our process. We had to rebuild the way we work. We went remote, like lots of things changed. And I was the person leading the charge on how we're going to do things and, you know, how we're going to build a remote culture and all of these things. So I think it got to a point where no decision was made uh, without consulting me. And eventually that became, uh, I made all the decisions. <laughs> and I think, I think it was the end of 2019 and Danny, who's the founder and he was the CEO, he, he just said to me, like, I'm not the CEO of this company, you are. And we had a big conversation with the directors and it was like, okay, I guess that's right. <laughs> so that's how I landed the CEO role, which it didn't, nothing changed for me other than now. I think I'm a lot more conscious of my role as a leader than I was when I was an operations director. I was just like process, system, blah, blah, blah. And now I'm like people, people, people. Um, so that was like a, a big change. But other than that, I'm still making lots of decisions and you know, still trying to steer the business in the right direction all the time. I love how you said the biggest switch and mindset shift between operations director and CEO was from processes and systems and output to people. What does that actually mean? Oh, so I guess before I would spend a lot of time in spreadsheets and looking for efficiencies and, you know, toying around with flowcharts on how we could be more efficient with our process and how we could save days and how we could save money and all these things. And now the biggest chunk of my day is one-to-ones with people where I'm actually there to create a space where they can uncover issues that they are struggling with on their forecast issues. And I'm there to just be like, right, so what can we do about it? And just help them problem solve uh, and and support them when they need to make difficult decisions. And yeah, the majority of my day right now is it literally is just working with everybody on the team directly instead of big changes and disseminating them across leads, you know, and be like, right, so you, I made a big change of the process. You did deal with it. It's more like, okay, what's, what is not working for you right now? Okay, what could we do? What would you like to do? How can we, you know, who should we bring to this conversation right now? Um, it's, I guess it's more coaching people so they can make the big changes, you know? That, that's really interesting insight. And having, I'm sure you've been on the other side of one-on-ones. So now that you are leading them, what's given you the ability to be an, an effective mentor or champion of the team how have you developed those skills reading a lot first of all failing as well um i think i have i'm actually going to be speaking up right to the ceo and i'm going to be sharing some of these frameworks i'm going to tell you about today but it doesn't matter because i think right still happens before this episode goes live so i'm not spoiling anything um but i think 
over time I developed an agenda where it's all focused on problem solving. So we go in, you know, we talk about, we start with like what's something great that happened to you since our last catch up personally, what's something great that happened to you professionally since our last catch up, just to kind of, you know, connect again. I usually, I, I take notes of everything that they tell me every time. So I always go back to things and ask them like, oh, last time you were excited about this or what happened. And we just kind of get into conversation. And then it's just two key questions, which is what is working well for you right now? And what is not working well for you right now? And I create an agenda for each of them that is kind of tailored in the role where I add little notes, like, oh, think of, uh, for example, for the project coordinators, the project managers, I would say, think of, think of types of projects that are always a breeze and they're always on time. When I say, okay, what's working? Think of that. And then I say, what's not working? Think of projects that are always a, you know, a drag and they never get delivered right on time. And that way I kind of put them through like a list of things for them to think about and start uncovering, you know, think of people that are making your job easier, think of people that are making your job hard. And um, we start putting issues on the table and opportunities as well. Um, and we just go through each of them, you know, and we start discussing them further, trying to uncover what's the root cause of that issue. So not just the symptom. Sometimes they would say, this is the issue. And you're like, that sounds like a symptom. That sounds like something that you've talked about three times before. So perhaps there's something else, you know, that's where keeping notes really helps because I can go back and be like, wait, this sounds like this thing that is it connected to it. And then suddenly you find out that, yeah, it is connected because the key issue actually is the client. You know, it's like, ah, you don't see that when you just, you know, just bent over a project. So so I, th those two questions are super important. And then at the end, I always ask them, like, what could I start doing or stop doing to help you? Uh, and sometimes, you know, there's, there's start, you know, can you start, can you just please nudge me once a month so I remember to do this thing? And sometimes I become a bit of like an assistant to them for certain things. And other times it's like, can you stop, uh, can you stop uh, giving feedback on this? I want to take over this now. And you're like, right, so I do that. I step back or whatever. So I have these one-to-ones with them. And they're always about, you know, what's working, what's not working, what's working, what's not working. And, and over time, they start getting really, uh, I guess, we, get, we build a lot of, of trust through doing that. Uh, them seeing that they can bring a problem and I'm not going to panic, you know. I'm going to just help them solve it. I'm not going to make it worse than it is, you know. Um, and eventually, sometimes the problems they bring are personal things, are big things, are difficult to talk about, and it's just creating that safe space for them. And that's what my one-to-ones with them are. Because I've had one-to-ones where, you know, like I didn't want to say a thing. I was waiting for them to be over so I could come out, you know. I just, uh, I'm confused as well, coming out being like, am I doing a good job? Like, I don't know. Because it sounds like it, but then on the day to day, you don't act like it, you know, so I don't know. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if I answered your questions, but I, I did a lot of reading and a lot of trying and just seeing what works for the team, you know, for the same for me, what's working, what's not working, you know, this question is working, right? Let's keep doing it. This one is not working. Stop it. I really, really love that approach. And I wish I had adopted that 
back in my agency role when I was leading the team because that would have been a really effective way of getting to the underlying reasons. Like I think I developed my own way to ask those same things, but I didn't have that structure. Now, for that person who I'm going to lean into a little bit of my own experience. I won't say from where, but let's say I have a team leader who is way too busy, has a million things going on, and therefore my one-on-ones are very rushed. They never ask me about how I'm going. It's always about the work, even though they should have visibility of where I am. What do you have advice? What's your advice, given your leadership approach, how that person could approach those meetings or even make them a little bit more positive experience for them? I guess it's just taking the same and applying it to their end. So perhaps taking some time to before the meeting start focusing okay what 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 information do i need to get from my boss in this meeting or what do i want to put on the table that i need them to know about instead of i think in, in my own experience as an employee getting one on ones with managers i would always leave it to them right but actually the one on ones are for me as much as they are for them so I think preparing on your own, which is what I like giving them this agenda and, and for them to have time to prepare and they all come prepared. They all come with notes, things they want to talk about. This is for them. So if you're not getting that space, just make it by taking your time to sit down and be like, right, I have a one-on-one coming. What is important for me to say this time? What is important for me to ask and be super clear that that's the one thing you want to get out of it. If you get nothing else, at least you get an answer to this one question, or at least you get to say that this thing is not working well for you, and these are some ideas you have. Um, I would say the one thing you don't want to do is you don't want to turn a one-to-one into a gossip session or a you know blaming fest, um, which I know sometimes this. Sometimes managers who are really busy, they will be super busy, but then if you start throwing names at them, they will be really comfortable, be like, ooh, uh, tell me more. You know, you're like, oh, I thought you were super busy, but now you're really interested in my gossip. Um, And gossip is like, it's just, it's a culture killer. It really is. It's like, it's the beginning of the end of a culture. So as, as a team member, just never do it. Like if you have an issue with somebody and it's clear that it's an issue and you try to approach the person and you couldn't solve it and you're bringing that issue to your manager on a one-to-one and you explain the whole thing, that's one thing. But coming in to be like, oh, you wouldn't believe what happened actually now that you mentioned this, you know, that's just useless. And maybe it would put you on the right side of a manager because you are the one person that's kind of, as a manager, sometimes, particularly when, you, when you're new, that feels like information. It feels like power, but it's not. So maybe we'll put you on the right side of a, of a new manager or a bad manager, but it's not going to help you get what you want. So before your one-to-ones, just take some time, think about what it is that you want to get out of it, what is the information you need, what is something that you need to say, and focus to try to at least get that one thing accomplished. And Using the what's working, what's not working framework is a really good way to, when you don't know what it is, well, let's just, at least let's try to smoke out, you know, what are some issues that perhaps you aren't having right now that your manager could help. What a 
brilliant answer to a very tricky question that I did not prepare you for. Again, again, <laughs> just shows you 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 know your shit, and you've definitely been through a lot of experiences. Probably made a fair few mistakes, and that's why you have this insight. Many mistakes, yeah. <laughs> Let's go into um some of your background in terms of being a freelancer, and then going agency, and then freelancing and then back to agency because you mentioned the word burnt out earlier to set the scene what does being burnt out mean to you and what did it feel like i guess it's just not having the energy anymore and just like struggling to care because you don't have the energy to even care anymore so it's like a lack of a lack of motivation and the lack of clarity and it's just this confusing place where you want to do a good job but you don't have the tools to do it. Um and for me personally I know that burnt out burnout it kind of it, it kickstart my imposter syndrome big time because I as I'm struggling like then that little voice in my head that is always there telling me that I'm rubbish. It just gets bigger and bigger and there's an echo to it. And it's just this crazy thing of me just, you know, you're just pushing this massive rock uphill. And and I, I think that's how I I, I felt um, the first time around when, when I left agencies and I was like, I'm never going back. You know, it's just I'm never going back um, because I, I felt it was like this losing battle of me doing my job because of lots of things outside of my control, I guess. And um, and talking to people in the industry, lots of people that I met around that time, they were all going through the same thing. And then there was a bunch of us, you know, in our mid-20s, already completely jaded you know it's like god like i've been doing this for five years and i'm completely out of it now i can't be bothered anymore and and i think freelancing it reignited my love for the job because i did like the job the problem wasn't the job or the work at hand it was just the structure i was in and freelancing even though sometimes i was working again as i was saying some of my clients were my former employers it felt like i had this power that I didn't feel I had as an employee. Um, so, yeah, I think that 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 it reignited my passion and it made all this lack of energy just transform into just fresh, you know, excitement. And it, it really, the moment I left the agencies, I was like, okay, I'm gonna start doing my own thing, and just felt like this rush of excitement I guess that's what it was and obviously I was worried and I was petrified and what if it doesn't work and other things that you will know one feels when you go freelance but I was excited and I hadn't felt excited in a long time I think um not really so yeah that's that's how it was when I left the the agency world and then new mom caught me again <laughs> <laughs> you could never leave no you're never gonna leave not now. <laughs> I mean, I guess what you described was 
from my own experience being a freelancer many, 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 many years ago in a totally different industry is, is the freedom, is the freedom to choose who you want to work for and when and the power to say no. I think that was the most liberating thing about being a freelancer. Of course, the flip side of saying no means no money. And yeah. that's one of those double-edged swords of freelancing is that money is rarely consistent. And yeah. even if it is on paper, sometimes you have to chase it up. How did you manage running your own business? How did you avoid those usual pitfalls? Or if you <laughs> couldn't, how did you manage with the stress of what most freelancers listening are law experiencing? Or do you just have to ride and run with it? <laughs> well, I mean, the first time it happened, so I got into freelancing when I was living in Argentina. So I'm originally from Argentina. And I would use platforms like, um, I think right now it's called Upwork, but it was Odesk and uh, freelance.com or whatever. And uh, and then people would put gigs and I would just sign up and then they would choose me and whatever. And I would get paid nothing, like seriously nothing. I had so many things going on at the same time just to make $10 an hour because all the jobs were like $2 or whatever, just to do lots of different things. Now, I got scammed way too many times. And I think in my life, I got scammed many times outside of work. So I think I just, I trust people. And that's like a bad thing in business sometimes, but I just refuse not to do it. Like as much as my husband would say, like, you need to, you know, just, just stop trusting. And I'm like, I'm not going to stop trusting. So I'm sure not everybody got scammed as many times as I have. Um, I think eventually I learned to to get paid in, in advance. I think at the beginning of my freelancing journey, I didn't feel because I was using these platforms and because of how it worked, I kind of positioned myself as this type of freelancer. But then the second time around, when I was actually doing strategy and consulting, and it was, a, was not a um, task-based gig, at that point, I knew my value better and I I first because I felt like asking for 100% in advance it was too much who am I to ask for this so I would ask 50% 50% right 50% in advance and then 50% upon delivery of the strategy or whatever it was and then over time I was like no like if I you know you just you want to work with me these are the rules and I started to be stronger with that and that day the day I started asking for 100% in advance, I stopped being scammed, funnily enough, because anybody who was not going to pay me uh, just got out the moment that they heard that that's how they work with me. Um, and then I, I ended up with just people who really, really wanted to work with me, who saw the value in what I had to bring. Now, obviously, as, as, as I said at the beginning, I'm sure that many people will feel like they're not there yet. So fine, if it's so hard for you, just prove yourself that you can do a 50-50. And once you get your 50-50 and you see that people don't even flinch because they just want to work with you, then put the 100% on the, on the table, at least for the first project of somebody that you don't know. And then after that, you can move on to a different arrangement if you want. But yeah, I think that's, that's, that's the advice that I got given and I wish I had listened to it sooner. 
I love that advice. That that parallels my own experience. I remember reading a lot of people's experience and saying, just just charge up front. But I was like, I was yeah. too scared. Let's start with 25, 75, and then slowly yeah. go to 50, 50, then 75, <laughs> 25. Daniel, just do the 100 up front. It, you're charging so little that it's nothing anyway. <laughs> exactly. That's that's literally what they said to me. It was like, this is nothing, right? Because in the great scheme of these businesses, it really is nothing and you are providing a ton of value. So, yeah. It's about which, viewing which, it in yourself yeah. as well a little bit. Oh, totally. Which leads me perfectly to probably the last question I have for you is, may not be the last, maybe I lied. It's because freelancer and then you said you, you kind of understood a bit more of your value later because you were doing more, less, well, less task-based oriented work, aka mm-hmm. consulting and strategy. Do you remember the day that you understood your value and what was the turning point? Oh, man. I think, I mean... The moment you said it, the, the visual that I got was this time when I had the last agency that I had worked for get in touch with me to do consulting and strategy on the, the same accounts that supposedly I was not good enough on. And that was like, this is funny, isn't it? Like now you're just paying me more than you had paid me as an employee to do the work that I was already doing that you were not letting me do. But now you trust me, which is, I guess that moment for me was kind of, it showed me something. I don't know what, it made me stronger for sure. But that was funny. Like I just felt big that day. You know, it's just like, look at me getting my old account back, but in my own terms this time, you know. Um, so, yeah, I think that was, that was, that was the, a big revelation when I saw, okay, maybe, maybe, you know, maybe I was good at what I was doing. I, I'm pretty sure you were. <laughs> <laughs> that, that reminds me of a, actually, I've never told this story before. Even before I decided to start my own business, straight out of uni, I got some admin job worked my way into some middle management and then I also got burnt out because my line manager left and he was amazing. And then one day some colleague came in and said, hey, the directors are talking and your name came up and they want to fire you because of performance. I was like, what, what, what? And, you know, CEO came in and talked to me, really awkward chat because I was only 26. I should have just walked out. But she said, oh, but we need you to stay for another four weeks. I was like, okay, fine, I'll stay. Cut the long story short, after I left, they hired me back at a (laughs) consulting rate. And I just rocked up in jeans and sneakers. I did not give a shit anymore. And that was my moment of, hey, Daniel, you actually know your stuff. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's just, obviously, as a business owner now, I know that sometimes you don't see, I mean, not even as a business owner, I think in general, like sometimes you don't see value of things until you don't have them anymore. Like there's pre- plenty like quotes about that. But as a business owner, I think it's so easy to get caught up in the small things that 
don't really make a difference because they make you feel in control because it's so scary to be a business owner. And sometimes firing somebody or whatever, like it, again, it makes you feel in control and you, you know, scapegoats are a thing. Um, but yeah, it's, it's good. I'm, I'm glad you're doing this podcast and I'm glad that there's going to be people listening to these stories because I know that there's plenty of people out there right now who are making transitions into freelance, who are jaded, are tired. They think that, you know, this job that they invested five years of their life in is not for them anymore because of a bad manager or, you know, they, it's good that they, they have, they have this podcast to listen to. So thanks for that. No, thank you. Thank you so much for being so generous in sharing your experiences. And you know, that, that really is the goal of Dreading Sundays is so that we don't dread Sundays or Mondays so that you can, you know, even though we do have to work for money, most of us listening do have to, we're not the 1%, at <laughs> least you feel fulfilled and that yeah. it's something that makes life a little bit more easier. So thanks. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. And I think in addition to being fulfilled, it's good to feel respected because that's what it is. That was you coming back in your job. You know, that was me getting this email and thinking, look at me now. It's like, and sometimes it's, and that is what it means when I, I think like I never had a, a managing director sitting in a one-to-one with me. I always had like my line manager, whoever that was. And for me, I have one-to-ones with every single person. And I want them to know that my time is, you know, with them is valuable. They are valuable. I respect them because I think there's very little of that going around and people deserve respect. And sometimes that's all it takes for them to go through a, a rough patch when they're struggling and actually pick themselves up to know that, you know, there's people out there who respect them and trust their opinion and believe in them when they say that there's an issue and listen to them, are willing to help. Um, it doesn't take much, you know. But we all do what we can, I guess. <laughs> I love that. And it's probably a good point, good time for me to shout out my, I think, I'm not sure what to call him. He's not my boss, but I report to him. He's in. He's in charge of my bonuses at work yes, apparently nice. <laughs> but what at my first one-on-one with him and i was just third week into this new enterprise in-house role straight from agency so completely new environment he mentioned servant leadership and that is exactly what you do giselle and that is the goal of leadership is to help those who do the work not necessarily get in the way yeah but as we all know most businesses can't run like that. So thank you for being a servant leader. Thank you. I like that. I'm going to read up on it. How they heard about it. So It's beautiful. It's like, you know, usual traditional uh, top-down pyramid. Now it's inversed. Mm-hmm. So it, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. It was really nice talking to you. I'm glad that we did this. So thank you for having me. Likewise. All right, folks, thank you for tuning in. And I hope I will see you in the next, well, literally can't see you, but I hope you'll tune in to the next episode. We've hit 24. We're almost at the end of 2022 already. And in the next episode, I'm bringing Momina Asif, 
who is a freelancer herself. So that will be an interesting segue to explore what her experiences have been like, especially as a woman of color as well. So until then, if you're new to the podcast, welcome. If you're a returning listener, wow, thank you for sticking around. You're amazing. And I will see you again. We can't see each other, but I'll see you again next week. Ciao.